we've put together a brand new sample of RAR Premium. So if you've been on the fence about joining us inside RAR Premium, you can get a free sample now to see if it's a good fit for your family. To get that free sample, go to readaloudrevival.com slash sample or just text the word RAR sample like it's all squished together in one word. <laughs> RAR sample to the number 33777. Okay, here's the show. Marcy wrote in and said, should we wait until children are older to begin literary analysis in order to allow them just to enjoy and soak in the readings? Or what age do you think is good to start literary analysis? There's kind of two approaches to answer this question. One answer, I would start from never and then work backwards. <laughs> I love the other <laughs> answer, I would start with from the beginning and work forwards. <laughs> listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Hello, hello, Sarah McKenzie here, and you've got episode 89. This has been a very much anticipated episode of the Read Aloud Revival because we invited our very first guest, back. We have had so many requests for me to have today's guest back on the show. And so we're doing it today. And this is an episode you definitely don't want to miss. So tell your friends about it so they can listen in. It's going to be a good one. Before we start, I want to make sure you know that you still have time to pre-order The Read Aloud Family, Making Meaningful and Lasting Connections with Your Kids. This is the new book I wrote that will help you choose books for your kids, create a read aloud atmosphere in your home, and really take your relationships with your kids to a new level, doing it through reading aloud. In the book, we tackle ways to fit it in, even in the midst of your busy life, with extracurricular activities, and homework, and work schedules, and dinner dishes, and laundry, because yes, we have a lot on our plates. We talk about screens and how you can let your kids use screens without letting them take over your family life, and how to choose books for your kids. There's also two chapters specifically about how to have conversations with your kids about books, even if you've never read them before. And those conversations have been some of the best discussions I've had with my kids about big topics. We talk about that in the book. I also give you 10 questions you can ask about any book at all, any book from a picture book to an epic novel and anything in between to have great conversations with your kids. And then part three is all book lists. And they're my very favorite read aloud recommendations for every single age. And they cross a wide variety of interests. There's almost 400 books recommended in the read aloud family. I've read them all cover to cover and I recommend them heartily. I cannot wait to get this book in your hands. Pre-order the book now so that you make sure you get it on the first run. And also so that you get our pre-order bonus, which is a video course I made that will help you choose books for your kids. Even if you walk into a library or a bookshop, you have no idea what on earth you should give to your kids to read or read aloud with them. I help you with that in this class. It's an hour-long video class, and you will get a promo code to watch it for free if you pre-order the book. That means you buy it before March 27th. Head to thereadaloudfamily.com to do that.
Today, I've got one of my favorite people on the planet on the line. He was the very first guest of the Read Aloud Revival podcast. Actually, in many ways, I think you could say the existence of the Read Aloud Revival podcast at all is due in large part to his insight and enthusiasm. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. He's the director of the Institute for Excellence in Writing. He's a father of seven, one of the most engaging speakers I've ever heard. You'll find Andrew at homeschool conferences all over the world where he addresses issues related to teaching, writing, thinking, spelling, and music. I have had the privilege of hanging out with Andrew several times over the past few years, and my older kids got to meet him a couple of years back as well. They love him every bit as much as I do. I don't actually think it's possible for anyone to meet him and not just fall in love with him. He's that wonderful. So now that I'm making him thoroughly blush, I would love to welcome him back. Andrew Putua, welcome back to the Read Aloud Revival. Sarah, it is so good to be with you because you're one of my favorite people on the whole planet. And the great thing about a podcast is no one can see me blush. (laughs) Well, that's actually good because, you know, the first time I talked to you, I was so nervous. If I had, if people could have seen me, you would have just been laughing at me. I mean, the first time you and I talked for the podcast... On episode one of Read Aloud Revival, I was a wreck. I was so nervous to talk to you, but you don't make me quite as nervous anymore. I've been in the car when you've been driving, so that makes me more nervous than talking to you. Yes, yes. (laughs) My driving definitely would qualify. And of course, you've had some very, very famous people on the podcast. When I first invited you on to the podcast in 2014, which is nearly four years from the time we're airing this episode... The truth is, we didn't really have a podcast. I don't, have I ever told you that story, Andrew? Go ahead. I okay. can hear it again. I'm sure others are interested as well. How, how did you do this? Well, it was sort of impulsive because I knew I wanted to start a podcast. I thought it would be enjoyable to do it. I loved listening to them. And at the same time, the thing that was making the most transformative difference in my own home was reading aloud, especially to my kids who could read to themselves. And so I thought I had run like a little series of blog posts on my blog about reading aloud. I thought this would be really fun to do a podcast on. Maybe I'll just do a few episodes. And I just thought it would sort of be an extra boost of encouragement to my small blog readership, you know, for people who could want to listen. And I thought, oh, you know who I would talk to if I could talk to anybody would be Andrew Putua. And I'm sort of (laughs) slightly spontaneous, impulsive. My husband would not use the word slightly. (laughs) But anyway, I decided to hop online and email your marketing lady who I love, Julie Walker, and ask her, hey, is there any chance Andrew Putaba would like to talk to me for my new podcast? And she emailed me back within a few hours and said, Andrew Putaba would love to be on your podcast. And I thought, I guess I better figure out how to start a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So then about a month later, you and I had a conversation and I really thought it would be a few episodes and 93 episodes and several years later, here we are. And it's so much fun to be helping families make reading a lot a central part of their family life and connect with their kids through books. So I think what struck me the first time I heard your talk, Nurturing Competent Communicators, which was several years ago, and we'll link to that talk in the show notes. It's such a good talk. You make this case in the talk for why reading aloud and memorizing poetry are the two most important things you can do to help your child become a good communicator. And the thing that struck me the most was when you said it's just as important to read to older kids who can read to themselves as it is to younger kids. And I think, you know, most parents know we need to be reading aloud to our kids who can't read on their own. But maybe here right at the top of the podcast, maybe remind us why we need to be reading to kids who are old enough to read to themselves. Yeah, that's something I've thought more about recently. And it's interesting because we do tend to, as parents, 
kind of look toward that goal of, oh, our kids are going to be reading independently and won't that be great? And, oh, yes, now you can read. Will you go do Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to yourself? And that'll free me up to do Ping in the beautiful Yangtze River here one more time with the four-year-old. And we tend to favor the young children, especially in a you know large, busy family as you have and I had. But what I noticed is that kids, when they just read on their own, will tend to kind of read books that, that are easy for them to read, and they'll stay in that comfort area. They'll work right at their, de- their own decoding level and not necessarily be interested or willing to be challenged up because they're not familiar with the vocabulary or the sentences are too long or there's idioms or allusions or expressions that they don't understand. So they'll shy away from that and then just kind of do lateral shift. So the question is, what actually creates reading comprehension in children? And to me, it's just obvious. How do you learn something? Well, you experience it, you get an explanation, you re-experience it, you integrate that explanation with your re-experiencing of it, and now you understand it a little better. So take, for example, a mom reading to their family at home. There's a word that is unfamiliar to one or more of the children, or maybe to the mom herself. Well, what's the sensible thing to do? Stop, find out what that word means, talk about it a little bit, and then go read that passage again, now with a comprehension of the word. That creates then the comprehension of the whole. Whereas kids, and you and I do this too, although we may not admit it, but kids certainly, if they're reading something and they're reading for the plot, they're reading to find out what's going to happen next, they see a word they don't know, they're just going to skip it. You know, skip a word, skip a sentence, skip a, a whole paragraph that doesn't look important to the story, see an unusual idiom or an illusion that doesn't make sense. You just skip whatever you need. This activity of reading and then talking about what you're reading. And if you're doing that at a level slightly above the child's own decoding level, you're actually creating reading comprehension and pulling up their understanding and consequently their willingness to pick up something that's a little bit harder than what they just read before. That's so good. I love this idea of reading comprehension as basically, it's basically this art of making connections in our mind and answering a multiple choice test or just regurgitating facts from the book doesn't actually demonstrate comprehension. I mean, I think I read differently when I know I have to take a, in school, I know I read differently when I had to take a test at the end because I I knew I needed to be tucking away little bits of facts or setting uh, specifics about setting and characters and in the plot line. But when I'm reading for, when I'm not reading to take a test on it, the comprehension I actually think goes up because then you're kind of willing to make those connections between characters and between how this book is like a different book you've read and how this is like something that happened in your life or not. Just sort of that making connections between stories and between that characters and the story itself. Just so rich. Yeah. And, you know, the the good writers, the writers of good and great books, they're rich with metaphor. They're rich with illusion. They're rich with incorporating things that are part of, say, the general body of knowledge of humanity. And unfortunately, a lot of kids don't have that same, you know, background database of general information, especially Mm -hmm. 
you know, if they're not growing up in a super literary world. So, you know, there's some allusion to Zeus. Well, they never heard of Zeus. Or there's a biblical allusion to Jericho. Well, they don't know the story of Jericho. Or there's, you know, a metaphor to the Medusa. And well, if they don't have Western culture, ancient and modern, if they don't have a biblical foundation, if they don't have a vocabulary that's extensive enough, some of those really fantastic parts of the prose are completely lost on them. I know I've read books before where I'll, I can tell when it's an illusion or a metaphor that I'm not following and I'll think, oh dear, <laughs> I'm going to have to fill that <laughs> gap in. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about, but I'm sure I should know. And I've seen my, my 14-year-old reading like H.G. Wells recently. And I asked her, what caused you to pick that up on your own? And she had said it was mentioned several times in one of the very modern contemporary books she was reading. So sometimes I think it kind of sends you on a little rabbit trail to figure out what you're missing. Well, and I think that's one thing I see is that when we read out loud to kids at a level above their own decoding and take the time to talk about what we're reading, that's what actually pulls up their ability to then read higher level stuff. So when my kids have been learning how to read, one of the things that has struck me is if I wasn't reading aloud to them or they weren't listening to audiobooks, then their experience of reading would be pretty dull because <laughs> the books that you can read when you're just learning to decode aren't that interesting for the most part. There's a few that are that are well done, but I mean, they're just not rich like the Chronicles of Narnia or something. And on the second part, when a child is learning how to decode, they're so invested in figuring out how to decode, like they're using all of their energy and capacity to just decoding the words on the page that so often I will have a kid who's just sounding out words, can read the page back to me. And then at the end, when I ask them like a question about what they just read, they <laughs> look at me blankly. And I know it's just because all of their faculties were going into sounding out the words. So I know that as a child is learning how to read, if they think that the best that they're going to get to read is, you know, and the early reader that they're learning to read from, there's just not that much incentive. Like, why would I want to do? <laughs> why is this something I want right. to do? But when right. my son was really struggling to read, I started reading aloud Encyclopedia Brown to him. And that was really motivating because I would read the first book. And then the second one, I, I thought he could probably read it at the level he was at, but he wasn't motivated to. So then I got the second book and I just said, oh, gosh, you know, I'm so busy. I don't have time to read this one aloud to you. Why don't you start it and see if you can. And he then, you know, 10 books later <laughs> was reading much more fluently than he was at the beginning. And I think sometimes we need to remember that, you know, there's not much motivation to read early readers. But if we can give them something like the Chronicles of Narnia, give them something more beautiful and rich. That'll make a big difference. Well, and I think that's a, a trick that a lot of parents find out. You know, here's the conversation. My son can read, but he doesn't really like to. And I'm not sure how to get him to want to read more. Right. Yes. yes. Okay. Well, in my case, my son, who is a very late reader, you know some about him. Yep. The first book he actually read, well, I read about half the book. It was The Bark of the Bog Owl. Oh, I love that book. So I love the whole trilogy so much. I had no oh. idea that was the book that tur that I didn't yeah. realize that. Oh. So what I just did was I, I read about half the book. And of course, it's a very engaging book. And then I said, I got to go on a trip right now. <laughs> so I can't read the whole thing to you tonight. But, you know, if you want to, you can try. And he did. And by the time I came back from the trip, he had made it through, you know, that whole rest of that book. 
And it was such an accomplishment. But I don't think he ever would have picked it up and thought, oh, I'm going to read this book. He had to be so deep into it that the story was just driving his desire. And then he could exercise his willpower over his brain and eyes and make it do what he needed to do. And the second book he ever read was Bridge to Terabithia. Oh, is that uh, right? Oh, my goodness. Wow. This is one thing I might mention, too. My son did not read a book. He didn't read either of these books until he was 12 years old. He didn't read anything at all till he was about 11. And yet, I would consider him the most literate of all my children. When he started around six, seven, and I started to see how incredibly dyslexic he was, I understood this was going to be a long road for him to read. I didn't know it would be quite, you know, four years, five years. So I just got him an iPod and I loaded it up with all the good and great books. No music. Never put music on an iPod. It's just for books. Mm-hmm. That's why God allowed man to create iPods for <laughs> audiobooks. But I loaded it up and let him listen. And, you know, because how do you do, quote, school with a child who cannot read anything and a 13 and a 31 have absolutely no distinction? You know, how do you do anything on paper? It's almost all verbally and auditory and experientially. So he'd listen three, four, five, seven, ten hours a day. He'd listen all the time while he was building forts or playing with Legos or doing chores or pretending to do math. And so (laughs) he spent basically four years of his most formative period of language development doing nothing but listening to audiobooks pretty much all day long. And so what I found fascinating was that when he started to read more fluently and when he started to write fluently at 14 and 15, his writing was more eloquent, more sophisticated. His vocabulary, his sense of words, his actual literacy Mm -hmm. was higher because he couldn't read, which meant he never read the junk. He never read the drivel. He never read You know, Max, the cat sat, Max sat and sat, the cat sat and sat, this mind-numbing stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know. We'll get back to today's episode in just a moment, but I wanted to take a quick minute to make sure you know about the Read Aloud family. This is a new book I wrote just for you. Here's what I know. You will never, ever regret the time you spend reading to your kids. Connecting deeply with our families can be kind of difficult, right? In our really busy and technology-driven world. But reading aloud is one of the best ways to be fully present with our kids, even after they can read to themselves. In the new book, The Read Aloud Family, you'll find the inspiration you need to start a read aloud movement in your own home. You'll discover how to prepare your kids for academic success, how to develop their empathy and compassion all through reading aloud, You're going to learn how to find time to read aloud in the midst of your really busy day, school, sports, dinner dishes, all those pressures on your time and attention. And you'll learn how to choose books across a variety of sibling interests and ages. The best part is that you'll discover how to make reading aloud the very best part of your family's day. The Read Aloud family also offers age-appropriate book lists from infancy all the way through adolescence. So from a toddler's wonder to your teenager's resistance, you're going to discover practical strategies to make reading aloud a meaningful family ritual. The book releases wherever books are sold, March 27th, 2018. But if you order the book before March 27th, you're going to get some extra gifts. And I am so excited. Zondervan let me do this because I made you a brand new video masterclass 
to show you how to choose books for your kids. So you know that feeling when you walk into a library or a bookstore, or maybe you're cruising around online or something, and you don't know if a book is worth your time or attention or your child's time and attention? In this video masterclass, you're going to find out exactly which two characteristics make a book worth reading. And you'll find out the three-question test I use to decide if a book deserves a place on my family's reading stack. So order the Read Aloud family before March 27th, 2018 to get a promo code to access that masterclass for free. I am thrilled Zondervan is letting me do that. Go to thereadaloudfamily.com to grab your copy. I can't wait to get it in your hands. So there are some questions from listeners. Are you ready to tackle a few of those? Sure. That'd be great. Okay. One of those actually dovetails really nicely with what you're just saying about your son. And that is from a lady named Rebecca who wants to know, when should I worry about my late reader? Well, you know, it's it's always a temptation to worry. And because it's a temptation to worry, that means it's something you shouldn't succumb to. <laughs> those of us who have kids that didn't read until they were 10 or 11, I will say there is anxiety. Mm-hmm. And Part of, you know, our particular process involved just letting it go. I remember sitting, you know, on the bed in my bedroom talking to myself thinking, what am I going to do? I'm failing this kid. He may never read. I mean, he's so far away. When he was 10 years old, I asked him, do you want to read? He said, no. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Because when you read, you don't do anything, which in his case was totally true. And I, I finally reached the point where I thought, okay, do you know some people read with their eyes? Blind people read with their fingers. Why can't you read with your ears? You know, yeah. it's we get so attached to this definition of reading as being able to visually decode symbols on paper mm-hmm. that we forget it's something much bigger in terms of cognitive processing of language and maybe it's different sensory pathways. When I interviewed Katherine Patterson for episode 81 of the Read Aloud Revival, she said, you know, books and language are just black squiggles on a white page. That's all they are until they get into the mind of the reader and they start firing these connections with other things inside that reader. And that really resonates with what you're saying, because you're saying whether that those black squiggles come in through the eyes or through the ears, it it's not, you know, the important part is what happens once it's in there, <laughs> right? Yeah. When I listened to that podcast, really enjoyed it. And when she said that, I, as a music teacher, I could completely relate to the comparison. And yeah, that is what it is. So you know, to finish that answering that question, yeah. when I quit worrying, there was a whole release of tension. My wife kind of quit worrying. We had all decided to quit worrying and just leave it. You know, he's going to read when he's ready to read and we, we can't force it or change it. You know, we'll keep doing what we can, but we're not going to be anxious, you know, about when this happens. And well, you try to, you know, force books in front of a, a five or six year old who's just simply not ready. It doesn't take you very long to create a hatred of that activity in that child. Whereas if you just wait a few years, it could happen as a natural process. Yeah. So I think what I hear you saying, too, is if you have a struggling reader, you still do what you can without the anxiety. So there's a difference between sitting down to do a phonics lesson with your child and wringing your hands and being worried. Even if you're not physically wringing your hands, they can sense your anxiety that you're not good enough. You're not learning this fast enough. You're getting too old for this. Versus sitting down and just doing a little phonics lesson and just accepting the results that come from that or don't, and then putting it away and getting on with your life and doing it again the next day. Am I hearing that right? Yep, I think so. You know, you just, you keep on keeping on. But as you said, 
let the emotional energy, just let that all go. And, you know, I think just one of the worst things we do is we attach grade level to age. Mm -hmm. And then we assume that because a child is a certain age, he should have a certain knowledge or skills or ability. And it's just, it never works out that way. I mean, even if you had a whole room full of kids born on exactly the same day, they'd all have different reading aptitude, writing aptitude, math, music, art. They'd be all over the map. So no, let's treat kids like individuals and not get attached to this age grade ability paradigm that's, I think, so destructive. A lot of voices might tell you that you need to learn how to get better at homeschooling. But I know something about you. You don't actually need to homeschool better. You need to homeschool happier, to have more fun, to smile more, laugh more. You want a twinkle in your eye. (laughs) And you want your kids to know deep in their bones that you love homeschooling them. That twinkle is worth pursuing too, because the key to a successful homeschool is a peaceful, happy mother. And that's what we're committed to helping you become at RAR Premium. RAR Premium is a unique program that offers mentoring for you, the homeschool mom, and we offer Open and Go Family Book Club. This is a family book club you can use with all ages from 4 to 17, and it will explore language arts, reading, and we often dip into writing, science, history, all across the curriculum as we uncover so many good and meaningful ideas. The best news is we do all the prep work for you. If you'd like to get a free sample of RAR Premium so you can see if it's a good fit for your family, head to readaloudrevival.com slash sample, or you can just text RAR sample, one word, to the number 33777, and we'll send it your way. Now, back to the show. I bet you get this question a lot because I've heard this plenty of times and it's from Jessica. What if my son wants me to read aloud his schoolwork and he doesn't do much reading by himself? Am I indulging him if I read aloud his assignments? You would probably answer this the same way I would, which is, yeah, read it to him. Read it together. (laughs) Talk about it. Read it twice. What's the goal? Is the goal to make him prove that he can do this independently and survive in this harsh kind of expectation for which he's not well suited neurologically or maturity wise, or is the goal to learn history and to learn science? If the goal is to learn, then why not read it out loud, read it together, talk about it, read it twice. Look at what your goals are. Yeah. And if the goal is to actually learn the content, why wouldn't you want to give them every advantage in doing that? Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Okay, so Marcy wrote in and said, should we wait until children are older to begin literary analysis in order to allow them just to enjoy and soak in the readings? Or what age do you think is good to start literary analysis? There's kind of two approaches to answer this question. One answer, I would start from never and then work backwards. <laughs> I love the other it. <laughs> answer, I would start with from the beginning and work forwards. So it probably much depends on how you define literary analysis. If you mean read a story to a child and then talk about that story in a 
very natural way. What did you like or not like? And how did these characters change or what kind of problems needed to be solved? And what images came up in your mind? And, you know, very simple types of conversations. Mm -hmm. I think you should start that with kids when they're as soon as they can talk about it. You know, what, five, six, seven years old. If what you're talking about is writing essays on symbolism and character development and literary style, I'm not sure that that's really ever something you'd want to do. You may end up in a class someday where you have to, but I'm going to steal the words of our mutual friend Andrew Kern here and say, I think it's very important not to kill the puppy. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you learn about puppies? You play with them. You roll on the floor with them. You toss them up. You let them lick your face. You scratch them. You, you engage yourself with this thing, this, this thing of a puppy. And that's how you learn about puppiness. You don't cut it open to examine its organ structure and skeletal structure. And, and then what do you have? Nothing. You have, you know, so. Maybe it's possible you could argue that dissecting the puppy gives you more cognitive, or I wouldn't even use cognitive, gives you more scientific information about a puppy, but you won't learn about what puppies really are. You know, our mutual friend, uh, Adam Andrews, with the Center for Literary Education, I think he's got the best balanced way to do, quote, literary analysis. But I'm not even sure he would like that word because it does seem to carry an awful lot of baggage analysis. You know, most of us have a, a bad association or a bad experience of that. I think back to my own childhood, too, and the books that I had to analyze for school are never the books that I feel like were the most transformative for me as a person or my favorites or books that I want to reread and revisit. So in The Read Aloud Family, my book that's coming out very soon after this podcast airs, there is a chapter that offers 10 questions, open-ended questions you can ask about any book to have those sort of organic, natural, open-ended conversations with your kids that I think will help people dive into books in a deeper, more meaningful way without having to I don't know, get into the analysis. And that's how I interact with books with my kids is because I feel like preserving that joy and delight and love for language is just too precious to me to risk losing it. <laughs> Melissa wrote in and wanted to know if you have any advice for the brave parents who are homeschooling high schoolers. <laughs> well, having done that seven times and just finished with the last one, <laughs> I may have a couple thoughts. It's obviously a huge question and Without a little more focus, I don't know if this answer is what's going to be useful or not. But if you walked up to me on the street and, and asked that, my first thinking would go to try to cultivate in them some type of caring, some type of passion, some type of, of interest, something that they can get excited about. If you look at the way most kids go through high school, their world gets narrower. Uh, their reading is more directed. Their lives are more controlled. The subject matter is more dictated and often unpleasantly so. 
Anything that you know you want to do is generally called extracurricular, and the world of academic achievement and and the compulsory need for electronic entertainment, those two combined pretty much chew up a teenager's time. So they don't really, I believe, these days have the the freedom and opportunity to get involved with something that's exciting to them. I think that's the opposite of the way it really should be. Rather than a teenager's world kind of getting narrower and shrinking and going into a a funnel that ends up on a transcript that somehow is going to affect their destiny, Mm -hmm. I think their world should get broader. They should have more freedom, that they should have a greater opportunity to pursue interests and develop talents according to the inner calling or direction of their soul. And I think, you know, we so often meet teenagers who've become very cynical now. They say, well, what excites you? Nothing. What do you care about? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't care. Just finish school. I just want to get out of here. Yeah, just get it over Um, with. And, you know, I was actually having some meetings, coaching some kids individually on college application essays. And one of the things that became clear to me in kind of researching and preparing for this is what kind of essays do well? What do what do colleges and universities look for in kids? Well, okay, yeah, grades and test scores. But what really makes the difference, I've found, is does this kid care about something? Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be some great altruistic thing like, you know, I want to do whatever I can to feed starving children in Somalia. It's It doesn't have to be something like that, but just some, you know, some kind of kind of strong interest. And that's what I think makes people attractive, you know, that they have zeal for something. And I look at my married daughters and I think, okay, you know, what was it that attracted them to these boys they married? What I see in, in all of them is they have this excitement about something. They have drive. They have, they have this caring. So I guess that would be my advice for parents, homeschooling high schools and parents who are not necessarily homeschooling full-time. Maybe their kids are in school. I've come to realize that pretty much all parents are homeschooling. It's just some of them do it full-time and some of them do it when they can. But that idea of, you know, give them more freedom to find something to care about and get excited about. I guess that would be the bottom line for me. You know, as I was listening to you talk, it sort of reminded me of the Charlotte Mason philosophy to give your child something to think about something to do and something to care or something to love, I think is actually how it's worded. Every day, give your child something to think about, something to do and something to love. And so often, I think when our kids get older, and I can just speak from my own experience as having kids that are either going into high school or I have one 10th grader right now homeschooling, is that it's very tempting to give your child something they can check off their list or put on the transcript. But how much better if we can give them something to do, something to think about and something to love or care about like you were talking about. And it's not really something we give them even so much as we help them sort of dig it out themselves because it's not like you give your child a hobby or an interest that they're going to be interested in, but giving them the time and space and opportunities to figure out what it is that's going to light them up. This has been wonderful. I knew it would be. Thank you so much. I always love to talk to you. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. 
Can I own a friend? How old are you? Um, three. Three. What's your favourite book, Noah? Um, Harry Potter. By Lindley Dodd. By Lindley Dodd. What do you like about the book? Um, by reading it. You like reading it. Where do you live, Noah? Um, in Barambadic, Australia. Barambadic, Australia. Good day. My name is Andreas Vandrick. I live in Barambadic, Australia, and I'm 10 years old. My favourite read aloud book is The Jungle Doctor Looks for Trouble by Dr. Paul White. The book is about a missionary doctor who lives in the African jungle and his adventures. I like it because it is adventurous, funny and brave. Hello, my name is Abigail Fandrick. I live in Burrumbuttock, Australia. I'm 12. One of my favourite books is Alice Miranda by Jacqueline Harvey. The book is about a girl called Alice Miranda Hightington Smith, Kensington Jones. Her adventures start when she goes to boarding school and on excursions to other countries, sometimes with her mother and father. I like that she is kind and generous and really good at solving problems. She's a great role model for other girls. I am Mikael. I'm four years old. My favourite book is Peanut Butter and Cupcake. I live in Tennessee. I like it that Peanut Butter gets a new ball and he goes find friends. My name is Leva. I am six years old. The title of the book is Happy Times in Noisy Village. I like it that he plans to make a hill that goes up and down. And how, how where do you live? Tennessee. My name is Dominic, and I am I'm a, I'm a river learner. My favorite book is The Tour of the Anchors, because it is a cool story. My name is Leslie, and I'm four years old, and... Where do you live? I live in Illinois, and my favorite book is Jack and the Beanstalk, the part when he climbed up the beanstalk. My name is Mary. I am eight years old. I live in Illinois. My favorite book is Betsy Tasty by Maude Hart Lovelace. I like it because it's about three little girls who grow up together and have fun together and get in trouble together. Hi, I am Caden and I'm eight years old. I live in Durango, Colorado. My favorite book series is The Little House series. I like it because all the adventures Laura has and when she grew up and married Almanzo and lived in South Dakota. Bye. What's your name? Addie. How old are you, Addie? Four. I'm in Oregon. And what is your favorite book? Crime Wave. Crime Wave from the superheroes book? Uh-huh. And why is it your favorite? There's Superman in it. Is he your favorite? Yeah. Hi, I am Tony from Chesapeake, Virginia. I am six years old and my favorite book right now is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. My favorite characters are Susan and Lucy because they are kind. My favorite part is during the battle and when they all become kings and queens of Narnia.
Thank you, kids. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for this episode of the podcast. You can find the show notes, including links to everything we talked about and a time-stamped listener guide that helps you jump around to parts of the podcast you want to re-listen to or you want to send to a friend. You can access those show notes at readaloudrevival.com slash 89. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week, of course, with another episode of the Read Aloud Revival. Until then, I hope you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Are you still here? Okay, well, I am too. And I wanted to check to see if you've had a chance to download the samples from RAR Premium yet. RAR Premium is committed to helping you become the peaceful, happy mom you're called to be so that your kids know deep in their bones that you just love homeschooling them and also so that they can become lifelong voracious readers. Get a free sample of RAR Premium by going to readaloudrevival.com sample or by texting the word RAR sample, like it's one word all squished together, <laughs> to the number 33777.